0: He tells us that it burst through the doors of the Commons. They had to remove um, the, the door frames to get it in. Um, and ag- again, that is true. If you look at the size of the doors um, and you look at the, the, the pictures of what the petition in its boxes looked like, the only way to get it through was to remove the door jams and the doors and, and get it through into the Commons like that. So, absolutely incredible scenes.
1: Hello, I'm Natalie from Genealogy Stories and welcome to Twice Removed, the show where we talk about everything history related. I'd like to welcome my guest today, history researcher, Chartist expert and creator of the Chartist Ancestors website. Hi Mark, how are you?
0: Hi, very well, thanks. Good to be here.
1: I just forgot, I just realised I didn't say your full name. It's Mark Crail. I just assume everybody knows you because you're so knowledgeable about Charter. Oh oh, yes, I'm a
0: legend in my own household.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much for joining me today. Um, I'm not going to assume people have any prior knowledge because when I told my dad I was interviewing somebody about Chartism, he said, "What is Chartism?" So I thought the best place to start um, would be, "Who, who, uh, what is Chartism, and who were the Chartists?"
0: Okay, so well, essentially, Chartism was Britain's democracy movement. Um, if you go back to the 1830s, um, probably everyone who's done sort of history O level or GCSE or beyond. Um, have come across the 1832 reform act the great reform act that sort of essentially is supposed to put Britain on this route to to democracy only really that wasn't the way it seemed at the time um, because although the reform act did sort of tidy things up and standardize the franchise and put the Whigs into power and all the rest of it um, it left nine out of ten men and all women uh, without the vote Okay. So um, as you go through the 1830s, then, there's an awful lot of dissatisfaction um, about that, um, particularly from those people who mobilized behind the campaign to get this 1832 reform act through uh, and then found themselves excluded from any possibility of, of um, a voice in, in government or, or whatever themselves. Uh, you get policies coming out of that, particularly the, um, the new poor law, uh, so the workhouses, um, which absolutely horrified many of the people who'd been behind the uh, campaign for campaign for a wider vote in eighteen thirty two, but it was a, a Whig government that got in as a result of it that was implementing all this stuff. Um, you've got increasing economic hardship through the eighteen thirties, and so there are all sorts of dissatisfactions um, in different parts of the of the country and different um, groups of people, uh, and. Um, By the end of the 1830s, that's all sort of building and building and building Um, and then the charter itself, the People's Charter, as it it was known, um, almost comes as an afterthought. It didn't really come out of that. (laughs) Um, This was this came from a group called the London Working Men's Association, which was a group of sort of um, artisan radicals who uh, talked nicely to uh, a few radical MPs that there were um, and had nice discussions and so forth. Um, and towards the end of the 1830s, they, they decided they would publish this thing called the People's Charter, and it brought together these six points, these six demands. Um, and Those six demands weren't anything new. They'd been around since at least the 1780s, but they formed a focus, and gradually things fell into, into place behind the demand for, for these six great reforms. Uh, and we end up with a a huge petition we end up with all sorts of activities going on behind that that brings it all together into an enormous movement uh, by the end of the 1830s something that had never been seen before in this country so that's how it all kicks off anyway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's really interesting actually because I'd I'd never really really thought about um, the the whole the, the new poor law in, in that context before, that obviously people were horrified by the workhouses and terrified of going into the workhouses, and then of course they didn't they didn't vote to have the workhouses. No. So it really was outside their control. But I think sometimes you forget that. Um, so what were the six points on the on the on the charter?
0: I knew you were going to ask me that. It's, it's like being asked to name the dwarfs. You know, <laughs> there's always one at the end that you can't remember what it was. So okay, so so the six points were first of all um, the vote for all men over the age of 21. Um, I say men, I'm sure we'll come back to that point. Um, Vote for all men over 21, the secret ballot. So up to this point, when you voted, if you voted, um, you voted in public, people knew who you voted for.
1: (laughs) it can be really interesting if you do manage to find an ancestor that voted i found one for a client recently and I, it yeah. was wonderful because i was able to tell them that way um, they owned, owned enough property to vote but secondly who they voted for and what their policies were which yeah. tells you an awful lot about your ancestor really so, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's absolutely really really useful for family historians yeah. not <laughs> so
1: much if you want to vote and not
0: you know, not not yeah. so much for
1: democracy but you know
0: <laughs> if, if, if you wanted to vote in a different way to your employer or your landlord it might not be a great thing so yeah. so Sure. That's that's, that's you know, the second one of the demands. So it's the right right to vote, uh, the right to vote in secret. Um, there are equal electoral districts. Um, you know, this idea that actually everyone should have a more or less equal say in, in Parliament. So you, know, you can't have one constituency which has a thousand voters and another which has a hundred thousand voters, because that gives you a really unequal um, say in Parliament. So they wanted equal-ish. Uh, electoral districts. They wanted to abolish the property qualification uh, to be an MP. You had to own quite a bit of property or have quite an income to be eligible to be an MP in those days. Uh, They wanted to open this up to to everyone, essentially. Uh, And it was an issue. There were a number of MPs, people who were elected to Parliament right up through the 1840s, 1850s even, um, who were subsequently disqualified and kicked out of Parliament because they weren't rich enough.
1: Really? Did you did you did you get people almost sponsoring them, like giving them the money or the entitlement in order to get them to the point where they could be an MP?
0: Yeah, there was lots of sort of shifting around of um, paper money, you know, okay. stuff that didn't really exist, you know, and the 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 sort of the the ownership in quotes of, of particular properties. Okay. Um, and obviously their opponents were, were keen to uncover that sort of thing and if it wasn't a genuine genuine thing that that election would be challenged so yeah people did do their best to ensure that they looked wealthy enough even if they weren't um, i've forgotten how many days i was gonna I think,
1: say it's the next one that the that, that mps get paid
0: M- yes number, number five payment for <laughs> mps um one of the last ones to come into effect actually it didn't happen until the 20th century uh, and again, you know, it's about ensuring that you don't have to be rich to be in Parliament. Um, and, you know, people often these days look at MPs, and oh, you know, awful lot of money for, for, for doing nothing, whatever. But actually, um, probably the lesser of the evils, uh, if you could only be in Parliament, if you were wealthy enough to sustain yourself, um, then, you know, that, that really does limit the pool of people who can go into Parliament.
1: Is there an argument that it also um, it means you're less likely to to be subject to bribery? Um, you know, yeah. if you're earning a decent income from being an MP, then you're less likely to be able to be bribed to to put in the laws of, that somebody else wants that's wealthy.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're, you're on the state payroll or the, the people's payroll. You're not on the payroll of, of Lord whatever or other who has, you know, a string of five MPs who always vote the way he wants them to or whatever. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> in principle in theory <laughs> um that's that's five and, and the sixth one uh the one that often gets forgotten is because it's the only one which hasn't actually been implemented is is annual parliaments okay so they thought this should there should be a general election every year
1: wow that would be a lot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so actually now we do do all except for the last one we 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 now do and they obviously I'm guessing they came in at different times and not not all together
0: they they did it took a long time and I think the first one was the abolition of the property qualification which I think was towards the end of the 1850s okay um you know then you know that that right to vote which comes in gradually through the late 19th early 20th century
1: okay Um, so going back to the very first point on the charter then that um that that all men should get the vote um what why why didn't they include women?
0: A very good question. Um, William Lovett, who was the the person who drafted the Charter, if you like, he was a a well-known London radical, um, was involved all through the sort of 1820s through to the 1840s in radicalism um, and so forth. He he says in his memoirs that he did initially include in it um, the right for all people to vote, uh, men and women over 21, um, but was persuaded that this was a step too far. That that um, whoa, <laughs> that it, whoa. <laughs> it, it would undermine the credibility of the uh, uh, <laughs> um uh, uh, of the charter and, and reduce the reduce the support for it. So it sort of almost made it in, but came out at the last minute before it got to a wider audience. Um, despite that, it, it wasn't massively contentious at the time. Yeah. but there were definitely voices. There were people who were in favour of um, the vote for women as well as for men. Um, both uh, male activists within the Chartist movement um, and a number of uh, women in Chartism, who were active in in, in Chartism at all levels. You know, the Chartism involved women um, in in grassroots campaigns, there were women speakers and so forth. Um, There's a journalist called uh, Helen McFarlane um, who worked for a paper right at the end of the sort of mass Chartist period 1848 1849. Who was the first person to translate the Communist Manifesto into English? Um, You know, great legacy of that. You know, the first person to do it. (laughs) Um, And in fact, she was she was about the only person that Marx and Engels, who were in the UK at the time uh, in in Chartism, had any time for. They thought she was the only one with any original thought in 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 the entire movement. Um, So yeah, you know, women were involved. I think the other thing to remember is over that period as well, you know, and that, that sort of from the end of the Georgian period through into the Victorian era. The whole idea of um, separate spheres for men and women, um, sure. which has always been there to an, to an extent, but it really gains ground um, and women and men are separated out. Uh, politics is a men's thing. Um, and, You know, it, it 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 goes through from the workplace. So you've got um, various factory acts which differently regulate the hours that, that men and women and children are allowed to to work. Uh, mines acts, obviously, which which exclude women from from coal mining and so forth. Um, and where where chartism at the very beginning was in some senses a sort of community thing. Um, and you get these great outdoor rallies, uh, particularly up in Lancashire uh, on the moors, um, and they involve whole families and there's a, there's a wonderful painting, uh, which I can, uh, for those of you looking at this, I can show you on the front of a book called Chartism. Um, can you see that?
1: I can, yeah. So it looks like there's um, a group of people stood on well, what looks like a rock,
0: yeah, and yeah. lots
1: of lots of family, lots of yeah, lots of women and children crowded around. There's even a dog in the picture. I can see some flags. So just describing it for those who might just be listening.
0: Absolutely. So it's a great, you know, community event at the beginning, that's a, an early painting. By the time you get to sort of the 1840s, late 1840s, 1850s, politics. And there's a phrase that politics moves indoors. It ceases to be about that. And it becomes about committees meeting in committee rooms and so forth. And that whole sort of late century trade union type thing. Um, And and women aren't part of that. So actually the picture for women over the period 1838 to the 1850s uh, in terms of politics actually gets worse. Um, (laughs) Well, that's just typical. (laughs) Actually, just one other illustration of that. In 1838, the first, 38, 39, the first petition, there were a large number of women signed it. Probably about one in 10, one in 20 were women. No one blinked an eyelid at this. It was, you know, quite expected, um, so forth. By the time you get to 1848, where there's attempts to discredit the petition that's that's drawn up then and presented, one of the grounds for discrediting the petition is, look, there's all these women signing it.
1: yeah um, i mean and their opinions are far less credible i mean what do they know they're just yeah. busy having <laughs> having babies and doing the housework at home aren't they no yeah, you've, yeah. you've got that real rise of the, the that kind of stereotypical victorian angel in the angel in the house haven't you in the in that kind of yeah yeah develops. absolutely yeah, it's really yeah,
0: interesting yeah. it's um, a period definitely where women's position goes back
1: yeah hmm. yeah i'd agree so so what kind of things were the Chartists doing in order to um, try and get their charter accepted.
0: So the first thing is the petitions. The thing that anyone knows about charters, if they know anything at all about it, is that they had petitions. Um, in fact, there, there was a there was a um, sort of slightly acidic comment that that in 1848, where the rest of Europe had revolutions, um, the English organised a petition. <laughs> which, oh. <laughs> There's the, the some truth too, <laughs> um, although it's a bit more complicated than that. But actually, yeah, I think that kind of follows through to today, really. No, <laughs> you know, <it's> too <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the, In fact, I've, I've got as well as a, a, a cartoon from a French newspaper in 1838, um, and it has a sort of a, a radical addressing a crowd um, uh, in, in London after the 1848 rally in April in Kennington Common. Uh, and and basically it translates as him saying comrades follow me and then we can all go home for tea (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah to come back to your question um the, the the big thing is petitions um and there's a number of reasons for that I mean first of all you know at the beginning um possibly there were a few people that thought well if we get enough petitions then then parliament will have to act it will have to change um, the right to vote and give us democracy and so forth most people weren't actually that naive most people didn't think that just because lots of people wanted it it would happen Um, but petitioning was a was a a great thing because it meant that you had a focus for your campaign it meant that those who were already committed to it could go out and talk to people uh, and get their support for it uh, get them in behind it um, and it, it really did sort of achieve that. It created a movement and gave a focus. So you know, you had you had the the unhappiness, the unrest, the the anger over here. You had the sort of the, the, the radical demands over here. And what things like petitioning did was it channeled one to the other. Um, so it served that useful purpose. Um, there were a number of other things. So you know, while petitioning was the, was the main thing to bring bring people together there was how they did stuff how else the they brought things together the, one of the main things there was the the, the northern star newspaper the chartist newspaper um, you know there was no political party in those days there was no mass media in the same same way that we have it today the way that you brought together a community of people across the whole country, the only way really was to have this newspaper, which week after week after week banged on about Chartism and very little else. Okay. Um, and actually it was tremendously successful and tremendously popular. Um, and for most of its, most of its history, uh, it, it, it sold more newspapers than anything else, apart from the Times. It was the second most widely bought newspaper in the country. Um, And because of the way it was consumed, so lots of people couldn't read and write, others did use it as a campaigning tool, so you had people reading the paper together collectively. Someone would sit and read out, probably not every little last advert and so on, but sort of the main editorials, certainly someone would read those out in a beer house or whatever to their their mates. So it was a collective thing, so it probably had a bigger readership uh, than anything else. Uh, and it told people what was going on. It told people what the what the arguments were. Um, it reported from the communities, so you know it made them feel part of it because they could see that their meeting that they had the week before last was now in here along with everybody else's. So it was a really successful tool.
1: I think that's really interesting that um, in a time when the majority of people that might have been um, interested in chartism couldn't necessarily read or write, that. That a newspaper was the thing that um, you know that, that bound them together, and and that that kind of active community of reading something aloud. Actually, um, yeah, it's really interesting. Do you, did um, did so? What did they do at the the rallies exactly? What exactly was a rally?
0: Um, monster meetings, as they called them, um, the popular phrase at the time. Monster meetings. So essentially, you know, they're they what happens. What's happened ever since. At, at, giant meetings is uh, the leaders stood up, usually on the back of a um, sort of horse-drawn carriage, from which presumably they detached the horses first um, and, and addressed the crowds. Um, but you know, these often followed um, processions uh, from one place to the next. So um, the big one, the best known one, April 1848, Hennington Common in South London. So the procession there started off first thing in the morning. There were two huge uh, horse-drawn carriages at the front, one of them carrying the members of the executive, uh, the leadership of the movement, um, the second one carrying the petition itself. And they set off from their head office or their offices in in, um, just off Oxford Street, down through London, picking up other smaller um, groups, other smaller marches from different parts of London as they went over the Thames picking up another great huge uh, crowd of people uh, at the Elephant Elephant Castle uh, and down south to 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 Kennington Common Um, and when they got there um, as I say you know they set up this central speaking point uh, for for the leadership to address the crowd One thing to remember in those days, of course, no loudspeakers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So unless you were writing close, there was very little you could hear. Um, But we know, for example, that that at Kennington, um, certainly there was a second subsidiary speaking area, if you like. Uh, And One of the big contingents that had joined the Kennington rally were were, were, um, Irish nationalists um, seeking the repeal of the Act of Union, which you know, you think about it, it was only 1801, it wasn't that long before all this happened that, that the UK and Ireland had, had come together. That group had a, another speaking platform on the other side of the common, so there is a photograph and you can see different clumps of people in different places um, because, you know, if you weren't close enough, you weren't going to hear anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> you might as well have gone home, frankly, um, but people were there, you know, there were there were Banners, there were uh, flags flying. Uh, it must have been a tremendous event to be at, bands playing. Um, and you can imagine the cacophony of a great huge crowd or a great huge procession going through central London with not one but numerous bands playing probably different tunes <laughs> at different places along the. Uh, along the procession
1: yeah it makes um, you realize how easy it could be for somebody's message to be um misconstrued or miscommunicated or like almost like china you know that old expression chinese whispers um, yeah, because if you yeah. can't hear the speaker perfectly and then perhaps you've got other people in the crowd telling you what he's saying because they can hear better but they're also putting their interpretation their own words on that you know they're not they're not sat there verbatim saying exactly what they're saying yeah. so that's it, really it, it's,
0: it's like the sort of monty python in the life of brian thing with the, the of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, blessed are the cheesemakers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: So so what was um what was the government's response to, to um the Chartists and to these big rallies? What did they what, what did they think of it and what did they do?
0: Um well they weren't very keen, put it that yeah. way. <laughs> funnily enough <laughs> funnily enough um things evolve over time. So in 1838, 1839 Um, Once they're getting to the stage, this is at the towards the end of the collecting of signatures for the first petition, Uh, they have a Convention in London, in central London. Um, And there's all sorts of debate going on there about what the role of the Convention is. Is it purely about sort of the admin side of organising the petition and getting it into Parliament? Um, Is it about organising what happens next when, as they expect, Parliament rejects um, the petition? Um, Or is it about being a Parliament in exile? essentially they've been elected by more people than parliament so there is this argument that well surely we are the people who should be governing the country not this lot so there is this this debate goes on um when it gets to when the petition gets to parliament essentially it's just rejected completely out of hand in fact they don't vote to reject the petition they vote to reject the idea of listening to it they don't (laughs) They don't, e- they don't even get as far as debating the petition um the only debate is about whether or not they should hear it uh, and they decide not uh, and they say no off you go um so can i just
1: pause you just there for one second i can yeah. just see in the background that my daughter is climbing on top of the saver so i'm just gonna ask her dad to take her out so that i yeah, can no um, yeah. concentrate yeah. thank you one sec sorry we had a good okay. run
0: <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> 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 I right, had to take her out um <laughs>
0: Have to rewind. So Parliament decides not just to reject the petition, um, it decides to reject the whole idea of even discussing it. Um, it's not even going to get as far as discussing what's in it, uh, it just says no we're not interested in hearing it.
1: Can you imagine um, them doing that now? Can you imagine getting a petition and saying actually we're not even going to read it, we're not even going to listen to you? We're
0: yeah, just, um, yeah. You know, this, this petition had 1.3 million people um, who'd signed it. At the time there was something like, I think, 700, 800,000 people with the right to vote so this was considerably more people than were even entitled to vote for parliament
1: and how many Um, how many men were there in the population at that time roughly
0: uh, about six million (laughs) so wow you know you're getting onto a quarter of the entire male population of the uk having signed this petition uh which is incredible um so the Chartist assembly moves off to birmingham um to continue its, its deliberations. Um, and While it's there, there's all sorts of things going on. So um, you do get some rioting in Birmingham um, around the ball ring there. Um, and the police are brought in, not just from, from Birmingham, but police are shipped up from London uh, on, the, on the new railways to come and deal with this. Um, and lots of people are arrested there, including William Lovett, who's the person who wrote the charter in the first place. Um, And who, I mean, to be honest, is one of the most peaceful, peaceable men you could ever have met. Um, But, you know, no, he he, he was arrested for incitement and so forth. You also get behind the scenes, and it's really even now, you know, nearly 200 years later, it's not clear who knew what and who was doing what. But um, it seems fairly clear that there were some people who were attempting to organize uh, an insurrection of some sort coordinated across the country. So, you know, there would have been risings in different towns and cities to seize um, uh, the the, the town centres and the important buildings and so forth. Uh, The only place that actually goes ahead is in Newport in South Wales, the Newport rising, um, which uh, ends in disaster, (laughs) not least, (laughs) not least because you know it's been called off everywhere else, but for whatever reason they 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 go on with it. Uh, And you get these vast columns of of men marching on the town of Newport um, in torrential rain. Um, It's an absolute miserable experience getting there in the first place. When they do get there, um, some of them, at least 20 uh, men, uh, are shot down uh, by the army. Um, So that was pretty much the end of that insurrection. Is that... Um,
1: were the government, bearing in mind a lot of Europe had had various revolutions. Um, you know, France, for example, was pretty close to home. Um, yeah. were, were the government seriously worried that that we might have a revolution, that it might end up in some sort of civil war?
0: They they really were, you know, and the army was was on alert and the army was deployed around the country. Um, 1838 things were quite undeveloped, you know, the, the state wasn't as organized um, as it as it would become partly due to lack of communications and so forth, it was difficult to do, there wasn't the mechanism to to organise from the centre. So a lot of the response to Chartism, certainly in 1838, was driven by um, local authorities, uh, you know, the the Lord Lieutenants of the county and so forth, um, and how they dealt with it. Um, But but the net effect was that large numbers of Chartists, um, particularly the Chartist leadership, were arrested um, so the movement was decapitated, taken out the, out of the equation for a, for a while. Uh, and not just Lovett, but also um, uh, Fergus O'Connor, who um, really was sort of the, the central um mainspring of Chartism for, for um, a, a decade or more, uh, was also arrested and imprisoned at that time and taken out of um, taken out of circulation. He was the, the, the owner of the Northern Star newspaper that we've already okay. already talked about. Uh, so after 1838, things die down, um, it resurges again. Um, 1840, actually probably one of the most important developments, uh, although minor at the time, uh, while both Lovett and O'Connor were out of circulation, this group come together and they form something called the National Charter Association. Um, and that was then the main organisation, because there hadn't been no organisation as such. Okay. Uh, that was the main organisation centrally nationally uh, for the rest of the Charters period, um, and it's important. It was it was actually probably the first political party, um, mass political party, certainly the first working class political party anywhere in the world. Um, you know, the parties before that were just interest groups within Parliament. Um, this was the first time you had this national organised membership. Um, organization uh, across the country, and that became really, really important as an organizing thing for the rest of the period. 1842, we get back to another petition. <laughs> are there are only three petitions in total, so I'll, I'll, <laughs> there's not uh, well three worth talking about anyway. Um, so 1842 actually um is more impressive still um, than, than 1838. So 1842, you have the same thing, you have the petitioning, uh, and so forth, and actually. Where the first petition had got 1.3 million people, the second petition got 3.3 million people. Wow, and that's incredible. It absolutely is, you know, half the men in the country signed this petition. It, um, has it survived? No, no. Um, I imagine we'll be Sadly not. I imagine we'll be talking about sources in it, <laughs> where you can look in future. One of, the, one of the great sadnesses is that none of the petitions have survived. So there are all these millions and millions of names um, that, that have been lost. We don't know who they were. Um, I mean, they were presented to Parliament. And I think Parliament in those days essentially used them to fuel the burners, to fuel the sort of heating system, um, <laughs> to keep MPs warm through the winter none of these things have, have have survived which is really really sad
1: that that's still um, that's such an incredible statistic because you think you think of all your ancestors at the time yeah. all the men over at least the ones over 21 and
0: yeah. you think
1: well the good chance there's a 50 50 chance they signed it
0: absolutely can, yeah, yeah i hadn't
1: realized it was as high as that that's incredible
0: yeah really i mean you know there's obviously different levels of commitment in there you know, somebody might just have signed it in the pub um through to someone who, who spent all day every day on on chartist activities and sure so forth. Well. You know, there's a whole range of different levels of commitment.
1: Sure, um, but I think it shows that um I think I think sometimes we can be lulled into this false sense that working class people just um, you know, went to work every day. Um worked really long hours um, and, and had yeah. of children and then died you know, and <laughs> enjoyed some pastimes you know enjoyed a bit of bare knuckle fighting but they, they, they just that <laughs> they just kind of put up with their lot and I always think that's a bit of a mis- misconception you know um, yeah. I don't think people were just sat there moaning and saying oh I don't like this very much but not actually you know voicing that you know, even yeah, if it no, was I, just I think, in the pub with your yeah. mates and signing a petition. Um, so I find that yeah.
0: really interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, I think certainly, you know, by the mid nineteenth century, people are aware, people do read, people, um, you know, have ideas and discussions and so forth. It's it's, um, and particularly, you know, you have quite a strong. We talked about the Chartist, uh, the Northern Star, but you, there is quite a strong sort of um, print culture by by that period, uh, which there hadn't been. Um, you know certainly in the 18th century on a mass level. Um, and again, you have to go back to the radical campaigns there of the 1820s, um, the, the, um, where there was a huge uh, campaign against the taxes on knowledge you know, called this, this sort of the Stamp Acts, which, which added sort of three or fourpence or sixpence or whatever it was at any given time to the price of a newspaper or a magazine or whatever, and effectively took it out of the price range of, of, of ordinary people. Um, and getting those taxes on knowledge repealed actually led to this sort of explosion in print culture.
1: Mm -hmm. Very dangerous. Yeah. (laughs)
0: So 1842, again, you know, another huge petition, even bigger petition, gets presented to Parliament. There's fantastic stories about it being presented to Parliament. So Fergus O'Connor, who we've mentioned before, um, probably a great orator, detailed and so forth, probably not his, his, his strong point, but you know, <laughs> a great speaker. Um, and he, he talks uh, in the Northern Star, you know, one of these things to be read out um, in, in, um, in the Beer House and so forth about how the, this petition was taken to parliament. Uh, and he tells us that the, the, the petition was so huge, it had to be carried on the backs, you know, and there are pictures um, of 18 stonemasons um, clad in white. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know it must have been a huge thing so they're, they're, you know they're carrying great long poles with these boxes um in, in them um it sort of looks like they've got the ark of the covenant being carried somewhere <laughs> um so they, they, they take this to parliament uh, and the petition he tells us is six miles long um and you know funnily enough you always think this is why it's, it's just a rhetorical device it's six miles long but actually, I, I, I did do some maths. I worked it out because, <laughs> <laughs> because we know the size of the paper um, that it was printed on, um, and we know that it was four columns of signatures. Um, and if you, you know, take do a, do a bit of sort of you have to do a bit of guesswork yourself. So if you say, well, okay, let's let's leave half an inch per signature on this paper. Yeah. How long would the paper have had to be? Uh, to accommodate 3.3 million names. And actually, yeah, the, the paper would have been six miles long. <laughs> and actually, if you if it hadn't been four columns, if it had been one under the other, one under the other, under the other, it would have been 24 miles long um, as, a, as a petition, which is just incredible. Um, and so, you know, this rhetoric about it's a six mile long petition is absolutely right. It tells us that it burst through the doors of the commons. They had to remove um, the, the door frames to get it in. Um, and a- again, that is true. If you look at the size of the doors, um, and you look at the, the the pictures of what the petition in its boxes looked like, the only way to get it through was to remove the door jams and the doors and, and get it through into the Commons like that. So absolutely incredible scenes.
1: Yeah, what a wonderful um, statement to make.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Here we are. This is what we want. You know. Again, they decided not to bother. <laughs> Thank you very much, but. We don't think we'll 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 do that. Um, so again, the petition is rejected, um, kicked out entirely. This time, you get very similar sorts of response. Um, you do get sort of um, agitation around the, the country. There are plans to do things, as there have been in 1839 as well. Other things. So, for example, there's talk of having um, of, of boycotting businesses uh, which don't support the charter, uh, things like that. Uh, the big thing is um, something that was called the, the sacred month, which actually what they meant by that was a general strike. OK. Um, and so attempts to organise this. You have to remember, of course, that trade unions were in a relatively undeveloped stage at that, uh, at that point and weren't necessarily all going to be pro-chartist anyway or, or think that coming out on strike for the charter was the right thing to do. But certainly in Manchester, or starting in Manchester, you do get this huge general strike that takes place um, from August on uh, July August. Um, and it spreads across uh, the country. So into the potteries, it spreads up to, to, to Scotland. Um, and there are outbreaks elsewhere. And at one point, this is this um, is known to history as the plug plot, um, somewhat <laughs> disparagingly. And the reason it's known as that is because the strikers went from, from mill to mill. Um, striking out the plugs from the boilers so that they, okay. they couldn't, couldn't uh, operate. Um, and they turned out thousands and thousands of workers uh, came out on strike in support of, or in opposition to pay cuts, and in support of the Charter. Um, and at one point, they held Manchester. <laughs> Manchester was was in the hands of the chartist um, and Trade Union um, leadership. Uh, and to do anything, to go anywhere, you had to have a bit of paper from the committee that said this was, you know, this was legitimate and you were allowed to do this. Wow, um, really? Yeah. I mean, it was almost a sort of revolutionary situation. You know, it was, um, yeah. So, what did the, did the, so I'm
1: thinking back to my A-level history here. So I vaguely remember being told that the the government were quite clever in that they tried to separate the party. They tried to appease the middle class people in the party yeah. by slowly giving them reforms, without giving the majority in the hope that the that um, the the, the middle class fraction, which which were probably the more literate, etc., yeah. um, and the more organised, w- would would stop supporting the working classes because they'd got what they wanted is that is that true is that just sort of a real massive simplification for a level history purposes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Everything's a simplification. (laughs) Um, But yeah, essentially there there was, if you if you go back to the first petition 1838 1839. um, There was a big middle class support for it, and that particularly focused around Birmingham. Uh, and the Birmingham Political Union, who had been the driving force behind the 1832 reforms. Um, And there was there a lot of sympathy within that group. Um, The Birmingham Political Union was very much a sort of, say, middle class. You know, it wasn't sort of um, small shopkeepers and so forth. We're talking bankers and that sort of middle class. Um, Thomas Atwood, in particular, the the leader of the um, Birmingham Political Union, was a Chartist in those days. Um, as that 1838, 1839, into 1839, as they started talking about ulterior measures, other things they could do when the petition got rejected. Um, so gradually those, those people peeled off and they were not really wanting to be part of this. Um, to be honest, you know, there were some odd motivations anyway. Atwood was really interested in, in currency reform. Um, but he thought currency reform would solve some of the economic problems um, so that there would be less poverty uh, and that the only way to achieve this currency reform would be to have a democratic system because rational people, a rational population would vote for a government which would carry out his currency reforms. So it was a bit <laughs> of a sort of <laughs> several steps down the, <laughs> down, down the process um, and eventually those people peel off from, from Chartism in 1839. Uh, some of them do become members of parliament. Um, certainly, the reforms to, to local government as well that are enacted by, had already been enacted, but, but were coming into effect, um, and where towns became incorporated and became cities and so forth, um, that gave um, a forum as well for these uh, local elites to, to, to um, have some power and a say in power. Um, it wasn't just about the sort of the old lords of the manor. It was this this new rising um, class of people, and that's essentially what's going on in the 1830s, whether it's the Reform Act or or that, or is that you're seeing a movement in who has power from the landowners to um, business, um, yeah. whether that's owning factories or owning banks. Um, so that that's what's really going on, and you've got the Chartists knocking on the door and saying, "Let us in." Um, So yeah, they they peel away, but you know it doesn't necessarily notice have a noticeable impact. Um, As I said, you know, the first petition 1.3 million people, some years later after this middle class support has gone 3.3 million people. So it's not as if it suddenly becomes unpopular as a result.
1: when was the third you said there were three petitions that were important so um, yeah. could you tell us a little bit about the third petition and how yeah. how many people signed
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's it's that's some years later actually between 1842 1848 things are pretty much in the doldrums um it's it's difficult to keep chartism and going and actually it gets diverted off a bit into the in, into the chartist um land movement um this uh, i will not touch on it briefly but it's this idea that you can um buy land create small holdings uh which have are big enough that people there have the right to vote and you solve poverty you solve the inner city issues and so forth by relocating um people to these and then they're funded by millions of people paying small amounts in
1: that's interesting um, actually because you have a lot of people during that period experimenting with uh with ideas around community don't you because you've got you got i'm just thinking of robert owen i say robert owen robert yeah, owens who yeah. has the he has the factory doesn't he and creates the the sort of community in the factories um, Yeah. you know where um, all the workers live in the houses that he's built and 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 agree to kind of his rules but but the idea is that it'll help them they all
0: yeah so it very much draws on owenism and you know obviously a lot of people aren't just chartists or just owenites or, or whatever they, they they move across you know they have they have Radical sympathies, um, and, and so they're involved in various different things. So, Chartism, Owenism, the cooperative movement, um, and all these things cross fertilise, um, and you get ideas moving, moving between them. Um, and in the case of the sort of Chartist land movement, um, you've also got the, the the Irish input. This whole sort of history there of smaller peasant farming uh, feeding into that as well. Um, it, it didn't succeed, it ended in a total and utter disaster um, for various reasons, partly because there really wasn't the sort of company acts, the company structure in those days to give a sort of legal status to the to the to the Chartist land company. And okay. um, they couldn't get it properly legally registered and things. So there was no real means of providing governance and, and doing all the things you needed to do. Um, secondly, because actually, you know, they they did launch half a dozen of these land colonies, um, and they ran for years, and you can still see some of the cottages in places, um, you know, still there, but most of the people they settled, you know, if you were a factory worker in Manchester and you suddenly got given four acres and a cow in Gloucestershire, you, happy you, days. Happy days. You really were not equipped. <laughs> no. To, to do this, um, you know, to suddenly create a, a small holding and dig potatoes and so forth and, and, and make a living out of it. Um, so most of them actually gave up in the end. <laughs> it, it you know was worse than than living in a city and working in a factory, frankly. Um, but 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 also as well, um, you know, in some ways it almost looks like a giant pyramid scheme. So, you know, you get a hundred thousand people contribute a shilling each uh, and maybe a hundred of those get a farm um, and everybody else has got nothing. And then you get another hundred thousand who contribute a shilling. So, you know, (laughs) you're constantly having to recruit new people to give their shillings, um, but actually it's only a very few people who get anything out of it at the end. So it was not really very sustainable. Um, but there just wasn't the, the, the legal structure for, for, for making that work uh, in those days. Um, that sort of filled the gap up till 1848. You get back to, 18, up to up towards 1848, and again, the economy is going downhill. You've got a lot of poverty and so forth. You've also got a lot of agitation going on all across Europe. Um, you know, 1848, the year of revolutions, so you know, monarchies and governments overthrown all across Europe. Um, and independence movements as well, and you know that does have an impact here as well. Um, so 1848 comes along, we get another petition. Um, you might think they'd have given up on petitions <laughs> by now, but but again, you know there's no there's no illusion that they're going to get enough signatures, and, and everybody's going to say yeah, okay then, and uh, hand them power. It's a means of organising, it's a means of bringing people together, and creating this this demand and this absolute yeah
1: and I I, I suppose to be fair what's the alternative you know you you go on strike and starve it's 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 not like you it's not like there's a benefit system that's supporting people it's the workhouse and separating from your family and so there's a lot to
0: lose by supporting absolutely and you know Um, that's it's one of the reasons that chartism sort of in the end I think fades away is that well we've done this we've done this we've what 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 can we do (laughs) we've tried everything and there just isn't the, the state is stronger than the people are at that stage oh, so so sad <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so 1848 comes along um again another huge petition um and they want to do what they've done before they want to have a huge march on parliament to present this petition um where it will get handed in and all the rest of it um this time for, for reasons I'm not entirely clear about the state does panic a bit more in advance um, and organize it possibly it's just a reflection of the the increased centralization there's been the better communications the better state structures that they're more equipped to to deal with this sort of thing than they have been in the past so uh, essentially they on the 10th of April 1848 uh, which the date was all due to happen uh, they'd brought back some weeks before that the Duke of Wellington the Now, very aged Duke of Wellington, um, you know, his his, his glory days, more than 30 years behind him um, at Waterloo, uh, to mastermind the defence of London. Um, Okay, And he he relocates the royal family to the Isle of Wight. They all get sent off (laughs) to safety on the Isle of Wight. Buildings are fortified. So you've got the Bank of England is fortified. You've got even um, even the British Museum, um, which is not just fortified, booby trapped. So, <laughs> I, I don't know whether they thought all these people coming from all over the country might fancy a museum trip while they're there, but because um, as far as I know, there was never any plan whatsoever to, to do anything with the British Museum. But they sawed through the supports for the um, for, for, for the main staircase, uh, so that if a crowd had tried to go up it, it would have collapsed. Um, they had people I mean. on the roof, ready to rain down sort of stones or whatever on, on, on attackers.
1: They, they don't seem particularly concerned with the safety of the people that might have climbed those stairs. Or oh, <laughs> no, absolutely
0: not. I, think, I don't think that came into consideration. <laughs> there was no health and safety assessment at all. I mean,
1: what what <laughs> stopped them from um, just outright firing on the crowd? you know, because I, I, I'm i thinking back to yeah. the, the massacre in um, uh, Peterloo, which is what, 1820s? So? Uh, 1818,
0: yeah, um, 1819, I beg your pardon, sorry. Um, yeah, um, that was much more contained, um, you know, it was a particular, you know, it, it was by these standards, it was a smaller crowd, not, not okay. small by any means. Um, also, it was in Manchester, not in London, um, which does have an impact, you know, if it's in the capital, it has, has an impact. And I think probably, you know, by that stage, um, even even someone like the Duke of Wellington, who was not known for his liberalism and so forth, might have thought twice about the wisdom of 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 attempting to mow down a crowd of, of several yeah. hundred it, thousand did people. Did
1: they were they worried it would just incite further? Further riots and further. They they, they
0: probably were. I think there's, but they had they had plans to deal with with them that that didn't necessarily involve that. But you know, having said that, they did call in the army. Um, The army were garrisoned, not in the front line, but further away to be brought in if necessary. Uh, That included bringing up um, the artillery from Woolwich, so they had cannon on call if necessary. So you know, they hadn't ruled this out. (laughs) Um, May not have been their favoured course of action, but they hadn't ruled it out there was something like 60,000 men were signed up as special constables. Uh, so, you know, in addition to the, to the Metropolitan Police who you had uh, 60,000 people, um, including interestingly enough that the future Emperor Louis Napoleon, um, who was <laughs> in Britain at the time uh, as, a, as a private citizen, and he, he signed up as a, as a special constable. Wow, so uh, actually
1: if you've got an ancestor that signed up as a special constable during that period, then the, especially if they were in London, there's a good chance that they attended.
0: Absolutely. And and something else I'll show you, which, um, you know. If, oh, you promised you, me you'd show yeah. me this. <laughs> I, I did. I did. <laughs> and I don't know if you want to describe it.
1: So for anyone listening, I've got to describe Mark's truncheon. Um, <laughs> so uh, Mark's holding up a police truncheon from, from when does that date
0: from? This is, oops, thank you. Um, 1848. It's, it's, it's been subsequently sort of painted, painted on. It's been decorated and painted and it has the date April 10th, 1848. On it so, coat of arms. Just um, to
1: describe it for anyone to it is a very solid looking piece of piece of wood. I mean, it's nicely decorated with gold leaf, but it's, it is, it looks like it would really hurt you if you got it. Hit would. by I that. Think, I think there's it would.
0: It's about 16 inches long, solid wood, the handle, um, subsequently decorated, no doubt as a commemorative item by one of the special constables who, who served on the, on the day. Uh, yeah, so, um, if your ancestor signed up as a special constable for a couple of months in 1848, that would have been the reason Um, they were there. I'm going to
1: have to go check mine now. That's really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: So there was this enormous sort of preparation for it. Although in all honesty, the plan had never been certainly on that day more than to have a procession, which went to Kennington Common and then came back from Kennington Common to Westminster. And again, you look, there there are surviving photographs, there are two, I think, um, that are in the Royal Collection of the crowd at Kennington Common. And you can see kids there, you can see women there. It wasn't intended to be uh, a violent revolution. Um, Nonetheless, that was what was prepared for. Um, So I described earlier on that procession down um, through to Kennington Common. Um, What the Chartists had failed to take account of But of course, as they crossed the Thames and headed south to Kennington, um, the authorities closed the bridges the the bridges essentially were choke points. Once you were there, you were stuck there. You couldn't get back to Westminster. (laughs) Um, Minor minor (laughs) failure of planning there and actually probably a failure of planning that wouldn't have happened 10 years earlier when there were far more people with military experience um, in the Chartist movement you know, people who by this stage were quite old, but, but you know, had been in militias and be, been in the militia, been in uh, the Napoleonic Wars and so forth, which had only ended um, 20 years previously. Um, so you've you had all those people have military experience by this stage. They're probably not really there anymore.
1: You get this impression of kind of baldrick, don't you, current? I've got
0: I've got <laughs> an idea. I've got a cunning yes. plan a cunning plan. Definitely. <laughs> we'll do another so, petition. <laughs> a, a slightly flawed cunning plan. yeah. Uh, so what happens on the day is they get there um, and so they put these they put these these um, platforms there for the speakers to, to um, um, address the crowds. And before that happens, um, the, the commissioner of police, who has a, uh, a, an outpost, um, probably in, a, in an inn overlooking Kennington Common, I think, not entirely sure where it was, um, summons the Chartist leadership, O'Connor essentially, uh, to come and talk to him. And he warns him that this rally cannot, you know, this cannot go ahead. This march cannot go ahead. You must tell them to go home um, and and. and Explains to him all the preparations that have been made, that the army on, you know, waiting there to, to deal with this and so forth. Um, and O'Connor goes back, um, and his speech, which you can read still in the in Illustrated London News, actually has a huge um, report on what happened on the 10th of April, 48, uh, and it includes big extracts from his speech. And he tells them that you know um, he loves them all and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> wonderful people so I love good. you guys <laughs> love you guys um but that you know um he is there knowing himself that he could be assassinated he's had threats of this um he's also aware that um that the preparations that are that are waiting for to deal with this um and he can't tell them to go ahead with what the original plan had been he couldn't have it on his conscience that if if they were shot down and he knows they wouldn't want it on his their consciences if he was shot down uh, and he was you know much loved leader of the the, the movement it wasn't sort of <laughs> uh, it wasn't a donald trump type <laughs> speech it was <laughs> um this is genuinely true you know people would have been devastated had, had a had been taken out on that yeah. um and there is some tumult in the crowd over this so um william Cuffey uh for example, who's the leader of the London Chartists? So, L- leader is a, a bit of a loaded term in all of this, as that isn't really the same sort of thing. But certainly, he was—he was a very prominent figure in London Chartism um, and had been its president and so forth. Um, He's—he's uh, he's one of the first up, saying, "No, we must press on. We must go and do it. We must, you know, we must—we must take this to Westminster." Um, Cuffey is—is. Is, um, most famous as, as, as the Black Chartist. I mean, he wasn't the only Black person involved in Chartism, but um, he's 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 a really prominent figure and obviously stood out in, in those days. Um, wouldn't mind coming back to him in a minute, actually, when we talk yeah, about sure. what happens after um, after this day. Um, but for the most part, you know, the the, the crowd does um, d- does disperse, uh, and the petition itself. Um, is taken to Westminster in, uh, in in a couple of handsome cabs um, by by O'Connor and a few others, um, and, and there is a bit of bit of a punch up on some of the bridges, uh, but but nothing nothing serious. So that day sort of ends in a bit of a damp squib, but it was never really intended to be <laughs> be a big confrontation. Okay, I, what you tend to then get um, in most histories is that well that was the end of charter, you know. 10th of April 1848 it all went wrong their bluff was called but wasn't quite like that
1: so Mark and I ended up so engrossed that we carried on chatting for another half an hour. Mark goes into some fantastic details about the different members of the Chartist movement, for example, Mark Cuffey, who he mentioned earlier. That extra half an hour can be viewed at my Kofi store. There's a link in the description. By purchasing that extra half an hour, you're also helping me to continue to produce Twice Removed. So thank you very much in advance.